This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Every parent knows the question. Grandparents know the question as well. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's kind of an aggravating question for parents five minutes after they get in the car and they're on their way for a four or five hour drive to grandma's house or uh, some other location. Uh, Maybe it's a, a, a vacation or whatever. And the kids start crying out, are we there yet? Well, what does that reflect? Well, certainly it reflects immaturity on the part of the child because the child has no way to compare time, just doesn't understand the passage of time. On the other hand, the child also is, by nature, impatient, just can't seem to wait. Are we there yet? Well, when are we going to get there? Are we there yet? Well, people are asking that same question, believe it or not. Adult people, professing Christians and others across the land and around the world are asking the question, how much longer, Lord, or are we there yet? When is Christ going to return? Well, today on Viewpoint, we're going to attempt to answer that question. You may think, Well, doesn't the Bible say that you can't answer that question? Well, both yes and no. So today on Viewpoint, we're going to fall within the yes and no answer to the question, are we there yet? And if not, how much longer, Lord? Well, you may think, well, this is just a a religious conversation here today. I'm not interested in that. Well, you will be interested by the time we're through because we're going to go through about a dozen different articles relating to the developments of our time that are quite fascinating indeed. In fact, they're telling us something about how close we may be to the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, you may think, well, I don't care about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I don't embrace Jesus Christ anyway. Well, that's for you to decide. On the other hand, there are many who do, and there are many who soon will. Why will they? Because somehow their minds, their hearts, their eyes will be open, and they will see that what has been talked about for 2,000 years, in fact, more than 2,000 years, 3,500 to 4,000 years, is soon to take place. How soon? We do not know. How long is a string, my friend? How long is a string? Well, you don't know. It depends on the string. Well, how long is an hour? How long is a day? How long is a year? The Bible tells us that A day, one day with the Lord is is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. So from God's perspective, the passage of a thousand years is like a twinkling in the eye. It's just almost like the snapping of a finger. It's very close. So when the Bible gives us the idea that somehow soon we may be seeing 
the return of Jesus Christ after 2,000 years since he was crucified and resurrected, just maybe, just maybe we all should listen up. Like the coach says, listen up, crew, listen up, team. Something, this is very important. This isn't just a game. This is the real deal. Listen up. So today on Viewpoint, I encourage you to listen up because what we're going to be talking about here is, well, perhaps a matter of life and death for you. I'm looking right now at a report that came through from the San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordillon, uh, where he said, a society that rejects the dominion of God is destined to fail. A society that rejects the dominion of God is destined to fail. He's right. Now, whether or not you embrace Roman Catholicism or not is not the point. He's making a true statement. A society that rejects the dominion of God is destined to fail. Well, guess what? Way back in history, there was a created being who was called Lucifer. He was the most glorious created being ever. You could say he was like the worship leader of heaven, but he got too big for his own britches. That's right. He got too big for his own britches, and with amazing chutzpah, he declared that he was going to be like God. He said, I'm going to ascend to the heights of the north. I'm going to be like God. I'm going to ascend to the Temple Mount. I'm going to rule and reign over this creation here, and uh, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that happens. Well, ever since then, he's been doing that, but now he's up the ante. Why has he upped the ante? Well, the Bible says he's upped the ante because he knows that his time is short. Now, if Lucifer, then called Satan, knows that his time is short, what should we think? What should you think? Just ask it. So Archbishop Cordelione is correct when he says a society that rejects the dominion of God is destined to fail. And in fact, that's exactly what's happening. As we go through some of these articles here today, we're not going to spend a lot of time on them because the headlines themselves tell the story. They just do. It's amazing. I was going over these with a pastor today over lunch. Uh, he is of a particular denomination of which I am not a part, but we have shared meals together for about eight years and confronted one another, talked to one another uh, very seriously about our times and uh, what's going on in our world. And uh, I, I went through some of these articles with him over lunch today. Here are some of those. Here's a question. Why are so many abandoning Christianity? Many today are forsaking traditional Christianity, continuing a trend that's accelerating for decades in the Western world. A trend that's been accelerating? Well, if we were supposedly a Christian nation, or at least founded upon biblical and Christian principles, then what's happened? Churches are being closed by the hundreds, deconstructed and rehabilitated as housing, offices, restaurants, and the like, or just abandoned. The same thing is happening in England. 
not so jolly old England, where major cathedrals and other uh, places of worship are being closed down and taken over as moss or as bars. This is an interesting phenomenon, friend. According to a 2018 Pew Research Center survey of 15 Western European countries, most people identified as Christian, yet few went to church. Yeah. In other words, they're living on, what should we say, the capital that's been built up over the years. The interest is gone. The capital is being eaten up spiritually, and there's almost nothing left. Hmm. Sounds like the Archbishop was correct in San Francisco. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we, where are we with regard to the second coming of Jesus Christ that the scriptures promised at the end of the age? When all other things have been accomplished, all prophecy has been fulfilled, he comes again. The Father, God the Father, will determine the time and whether or not things are ready for his return. So what would that take? What would it take for the world, the peoples of this planet, to be ready for that to happen? Well, there are two things. Number one would be that many, or perhaps relatively speaking, a certain number, perhaps a remnant, would be ready, having embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, having conducted themselves in uh, confession and repentance, and uh, walking in uh, holiness and in righteousness, without which no man will see the Lord, the Bible says. But then again, that's just a minority of the people. How about the rest of the people? The great majority of the people. Where would the qualification lie there? For the Father to determine that it was time to send the Son to gain or collect his true followers. Well, uh, that would mean that the wickedness of the world, the falling away from all semblance of righteousness, and including blaspheming the God of creation, would have to become so great and so intense that there's no hope left. Now, that's what happened in the days of Noah. You remember that. Wickedness and violence was encompassing the earth, and God looked down, and he he just said, you know, there's, there's no hope left. But he found one man, a man named Noah, who was righteous in his generation, and leading his family in 
a right way to honor the God of creation. And that was long before Abraham, long before the Jewish nation was born, long before Christ showed up on the scene, but not before God had created heavens and earth and the humankind on that earth. So God decided there's only one remedy, and that is to wipe all living off the earth, which he did with a flood. Noah himself and his family alone, eight people were saved because he obeyed God by faith and built an ark. Now, here's the deal. God, in a sense, wants you to build an ark. Now, not an ark of gopher wood or any other kind of wood or metal or uh, uh, any other kind of material. No, he wants you to build a spiritual ark. In other words, he wants you as a man, for instance, uh, a husband, a father, and a, a mother and a wife, wants you collectively to train your sons and your daughters to honor God, to obey his voice, to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, having confessed sin and turning from it, it's called repentance, and then to walk in the paths of righteousness by faith until Jesus returns. That's how you build an ark in our time. It's called building trust for troubled times. So it's all about trusting God. But the majority of the people are not. Listen to these further reports concerning why so many are abandoning, for instance, Christianity. According to this 2018 Pew Research, that was five years ago, a survey of 15 Western European nations, most people identified as Christian, yet few went to church. For example, out of those who said they are Christian in the United Kingdom, only 18% attend church on a regular basis. Now, that's the place where John Wesley came from that formed the United Methodist Church or the Methodist Church. That's the same place that uh, the founder of the Salvation Army came from, right there in England. In Canada, it's merely 13% that go to church on a regular basis. In Australia, 17%. In New Zealand, just 15%. And that was five years ago, friends. Now, the least re uh, religious nations in Western Europe are the Netherlands and the United Kingdom, followed by Germany, Switzerland, Spain, and Austria. Germany, isn't that where the Protestant Reformation began? And Switzerland? Absolutely. Look what's happened. In France, half of the population is non-religious or atheist. And then when you look over to the Jewish state of Israel, it may be surprising to learn that 65% of its citizens consider themselves non-religious or atheist. Consider these facts, friends. That was five years ago, and things have been going downhill rapidly since then. Well, maybe then, when the National Geographic came out with this title, they knew something. The world's newest major religion, no religion. 
As secularism grows, atheists and agnostics are trying to expand and diversify their ranks. Hmm. Then, in addition to that, we have to create new religions. Well, here's another one from Time Magazine. The case for making Earth Day a religious holiday. In other words, we don't much like or worship Father God anymore because, as one famous actress once said on television, down with patriarchy. So, we replace fatherhood and Father God with Mother Earth. So, Mother Earth is to be worshipped, as the environmentalists are telling us, and even as uh, professors in California are leading their pseudo-congregations called their students in worshiping trees, hugging trees, and even alleging sexual union with trees. Are you beginning to get the picture of where we are? Now, shifting from that, we look at this as the final piece with regard to the spiritual or religious aspect precisely. Secularism, people are less religious. Why? Because rationalization is taking over for faith. Now, what does that sound like to you? When I was in high school, I read a famous book called A Tale of Two Cities by uh, Charles Dickens. A Tale of Two Cities. Oh, let me tell you, you should read it. You really should read it. I've never forgotten it. It tells us about the French Revolution and what happened and how it came to be and what happened as the spirit of anti-Christ, anti-Christian, anti-authority began to take over and how there was nothing to restrain the violence Every man did that which was right in his eyes, and even Robespierre himself, the revered lawyer who was the head of the French Revolution, ended up losing his head after having been declared Messiah the day before. Nobody was safe. Are you not beginning to see that's what's happening even in the land of the free, the home of the brave, called America? That's exactly what's happened. France was governed then by the goddess of reason. So they erected the goddess of reason, yes, right there in the Notre Dame Cathedral. Amazing. Utterly amazing. Now, we shift from all of that to take a look at the geopolitical area of our world. Because all of these things fit together, we're asking the question, How long till Christ returns? Are we there yet? Are we anywhere near that time? And if so, what should we do? Of course, the most important question is not, are we there yet? But what should we do? That's the real question. And so parents, when their kids ask the question, uh, are we there yet? uh, Have to come up with some uh, very quick ideas to uh, draw the attention of their kids away from continuing to bug the parents with the question, are you there yet? And a wise parent will have considered that 
early on. So a wise pastor or priest would have prepared the people under his spiritual authority with an understanding of what the people should be expecting, what they should be looking for, and what they should do as we await that unique time in history, the greatest moment in all of human history, superseding the resurrection, superseding the uh, crucifixion, when Christ himself appears in the clouds of heaven and comes to this planet, all as referred to in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. In the meantime, we're going to answer some of those questions. For instance, from the Jerusalem Post today, a message from Iran. Iran will destroy Tel Aviv, Haifa at the slightest Israel action. That came from the president of Iran today. Does that sound a bit troubling? Well, it should. He said the enemies of the Islamic Revolution, especially the Zionist regime, have received the message of the power of the armed forces of the Islamic Republic of Iran. So, Iran has declared Israel the little Satan and America the great Satan. So, an attack on Israel is an attack on America. And in one sense, an attack on America becomes an attack on Israel. Because America, up till now, has been Israel's only trusted defense. And even that now is questionable since the days of Barack Obama and now Joe Biden. All the words to the contrary that say how much we're, you know, forever linked to Israel and so on, actions speak louder than words. They just do. So, Israel is in a real bind. That's exactly what the Bible said was going to happen in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. In fact, it says that all nations, in the book of Joel, all nations are going to come against Israel. And they're going to come against Jerusalem. And in the process of coming against Jerusalem, you can read about it right there in Zechariah, chapter 14, God himself is going to intervene. It's going to be a very messy picture for them. Mm -hmm. All these things you see are going to happen. People that say, well, there's nothing yet to have to happen before Christ comes are just not true. It's just not accurate. They call it the doctrine of imminency. It's just not true. There are many things that have to happen. Now, Israel's population just hit 9.73 million on its 75th anniversary uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. And in the process, the uh, uh, Jewish people, the, the leaders in Israel, are urging the country to prepare for a large influx of Jewish people from all over the world far more than have come so far. 
Now, we know that they came from Russia, just as the Bible had said they would come from the North Country. So years ago, right after uh, Israel was founded as a nation in 1948, there was an air flight, a huge, massive air flight of Jewish people out of Russia because of the pogroms that were destroying the Jewish people. But now... The leaders in Israel, as divided as they are over liberal and conservative issues politically, the one thing they do know is what anti-Semitism looks like. And they feel it. They feel it viscerally. And all over the world, including America, anti-Semitism is rising so dramatically that they're saying, We have got to get the people out from the rest of the world to Israel, and we've got to do it quickly. Friends, that's exactly what the Bible said was going to have to happen before Christ comes. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? What will you tell your children, your grandchildren, if they were to ask you that question with regard to the second coming of Jesus Christ? Are we there yet? What would you tell them? Are you prepared to tell them anything? Or are you just going to say, no man knows the day or the hour? That's a pretty lame answer. It is true. No man knows the day or the hour. Just like your kids didn't know the day or the hour that you were going to end up at your destination. But they should have had some idea of the general time frame, the season. I mean, are we near? I remember when I was young and uh, we used to love to visit my grandparents. We lived in California, in Fresno, and uh, we'd love to go visit my grandparents in Pasadena, California. And... uh, Uh, So we would drive, and I got the idea over time as to approximately when we were nearing, maybe within 45 minutes or an hour, uh, nearing the destination. Well, that's exactly what God intended for you and me to understand that when we are nearing that time, that moment, when Christ will return. Now, why would the Father, God the Father, want you to know that? 
Why would he want us to know that? There's one reason. First of all, he wants us to have that expectation. There's something about an expectation, isn't there? Some people say that one of the greatest things about a vacation is just the expectation of it. Well, God expects for us to have an expectation of the coming of the Lord. I mean, even back at the times of the uh, uh, Civil War, we had that uh, famous song, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. What is that about? He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. That was all about, friends, the time that they were experiencing. Then, looking forward, seeing the coming of the Lord to rectify, to bring judgment and justice to the earth because humankind was not doing a very good job of it. And you'll remember about the same time that Abraham Lincoln said that America was the last best hope of Earth. Well, if America is the last best hope of Earth and America is taking the direction that we're taking now, there's not much hope left, is there? I mean, we can do our best to try to elect presidents and congressmen and representatives and so on as best we can, and we should do that. We shouldn't just twiddle our thumbs. We should occupy uh, till the Lord comes. The Bible says we should do that. That's one of the things that we should do. But we occupy with an expectation. We don't just twiddle our thumbs and occupy and say, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see, que sera, sera. No. We occupy with purpose and with hope. And we listen to the voice of the Lord saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And uh, we go to the Word of God, and we spend quality time in His Word every single day because we know that we're called to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Most Christians are not prepared to rightly divide the Word of Truth. You know why? Because they don't even know it. They spend so little time in it. They are completely in selfish rebellion against what God said to do. They don't value the word of God. Oh, they say they do. It's like what George Gallup said back in 1995. He was addressing, remember, the uh, Christian publishing industry in Dallas, uh, Dallas, Texas. And he said, you know what? He said, Americans still revere the Bible. They just don't read it. And they certainly don't obey it. He was talking to Christians. No wonder the word obey has become like a four-letter word among Christians today. It's the most hated word in the church. Doesn't that tell you the times that we're in? Perilous times, as the Apostle Paul wrote. Perilous times. Times of great peril. Things are not going well. It's worse than that. They're not going well at all. They're going dangerously unwell. Try this one. A Los Angeles-based artist and writer, Jackie DeForest, has founded a new church for the express purpose of worshiping abortion. I'm looking at it right now. At Bombay Beach, California, she knelt and prayed with passerbys at the inaugural mass of her new church. 
to celebrate and worship abortion. Worshiping that which God hates. Killing. And yet, you know, we can see how awful that is. But then we would discover since 1968, with no-fault divorce passing through Ronald Reagan in California, that the whole nation has cavorted with divorce. So that almost every year since 1968, about a million children a year were left like virtual orphans in our country through divorce. And what do you make of that? When God said, I hate it, I hate divorce. Apparently, we don't, we, we don't agree with God, even in our churches. Since the divorce rate in the Bible Belt of America for the past 25 years has exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%. We don't give a rip what God says about our lives, do we? Not really. Oh, we like to join his bless me club and go down his divine buffet table and take this thing that we like and that thing that we like and then reject the rest. Hmm. Maybe we're not as ready as we thought we were. Maybe we haven't really seen the reality of how close we are to grandma's house or to the vacation spot we were heading or to the end of the age. And then Klaus Schwab, they are heading up the World Economic Forum, said we're going to purge the Internet, and so he's hired millions of information warriors to seize control of the Internet so that you can't speak the truth regarding anything that has anything to do with truth. You have to agree with the New World Order. You have to agree with uh, everything that is deceptive and call it truth. And he's going to control it all through the Internet. That's a goal. He said, so far we've recruited 110,000 information volunteers and equipped these information volunteers with the kind of knowledge about how misinformation spreads and then asked them to serve as a kind of digital first responders. In other words, these are digital Internet spies. Then, children between the ages of 1 and 12 now can be euthanized in the Dutch government. They've approved it. The Netherlands. This is one of the most godless nations in the Western world, the Netherlands. Another one is Sweden. This is what's happening, friends. Killing our children, not just by abortion, but euthanizing them. And then, we have from the Epic Times last week, The headline, Fearful Churches Are Failing to Teach Americans Moral Character. This is what the pastor said. Fearful churches are failing to teach Americans moral character. 
In other words, they're failing to teach American people in their congregations what God expects from their lives. It's called righteousness. So they develop their own morality through cancel culture, through reason rather than righteousness. Now, why is it that fearful churches are failing to teach Americans moral character? It's very simple. And I shared this with the pastor over lunch today. I said it's because pastors are afraid of their people. They fear their people more than they fear God. And so they would rather risk pleasing God in order to please their people and tell the people what they want to hear and fail to tell them what they need to hear to please God. That's what's going on. So in a sense, please, please hear me out. I'm speaking this in good faith, but so that you will understand the depths of this problem. What pastors are doing is prostituting their positions to get the accolades of their people, to keep their jobs and to get the accolades of their people. That's what they're doing. Because they would rather please the people than they would please God. They have a lot at risk. Their reputations, the size of their congregation, they don't want to have people leave, uh, walk out by their feet. Last week, we had a pastor here on this uh, program who said he began a series teaching about what God had to say, what the Bible had to say about the issues of our time. He said, I lost 40% of my congregation almost instantly. But he said what was left was so much stronger and more vibrant. You see, that's what we don't realize. So pastors themselves are failing to prepare the people. This is part of the perilous times, friends, and tells you how close we really are. So, when is he coming? Oh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Stay tuned. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Is he coming yet? How much longer, Lord, are you going to wait? Well, 
as all children. You see, we are called the children of God if we're followers of Jesus Christ and seeking to walk according to his word, his will, and his ways. So we're, we're like a bunch of little kids. And instead of acting maturely like, say, a 15- or 16-year-old would, would expect to do, driving in your car toward grandma's house or toward a vacation spot or whatever. No, we're like a bunch of five-year-olds, six-year-olds. Are we there yet? Well, when are we going to get there? Now, here's what God wants from you and from me. He wants us to be mature. He wants us to grow up. Now, how are we going to grow up in this regard? Well, one way we're going to grow up is to have our pastors tell us the truth. Pastor, if you're so pusillanimous, you might want to look that word up, so pusillanimous that you just cannot bear to tell the people the whole truth in bold and clear language, maybe you should step away from the pulpit. Maybe you should. Either that or get some... Uh, spiritual chutzpah and begin to do what God called you to do. Now, just to show you how this works, several years ago, I was asked to speak to a group of supposed Christian men at their congregation on a Saturday. And so uh, I determined I had a half an hour to speak, so I told them I was going to talk about the then-time church, the now-time church, and the end-time church so that I could help these men be prepared. So within five minutes after I started speaking, the men began to act up and make catcalls. The longer I spoke, the more pervasive the catcalls became. It was unbelievable. I have never, ever, I've spoken all across this country, never, ever, ever had anybody respond that way. So at the end of the half hour, I was wondering why I was even there. Uh, not one person came up to me. Well, one did. He identified himself as the pastor, and he had been there the whole time. And he let his men carry on like that. So he said, well, Mr. Chris Meyer, maybe you're wondering why my men responded the way they did. He said, it's because we don't talk about end times here. We want people to love Jesus, not to fear God. Did you get that? This pastor's got it all backwards. And his people are not going to be prepared. They're not going to be prepared for the day of judgment. And it's clear they're not preparing their kids. That's the spirit. And that was about 15 years ago. Listen to these words from the book of Revelation, chapter 19. And I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. It doesn't say he judges and makes love. It says he judges and makes war. 
His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and a name, his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. The fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. You see, that's all part of it. It's not just the glorious return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's he's coming to judge the earth in righteousness. We're told that not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. He has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of it because, well, quite frankly, it doesn't get any better than that. God is God. Jesus is God. When he came the first time, he came to save his people from their sin, if we would repent. When he comes the second time, he's going to judge the world, all people, in and for their sin. That's the scenario. Now, here's how Revelation 19 begins, though. Well, not quite beginning, about verse 7. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, that is to Christ, for the marriage of the Lamb, that's Christ, is come, and his wife has made herself ready. Well, who's his wife? You see, this is the final preparation. This is the final thing that has to be accomplished that you and I participate in in order to prepare the way so that we know how much time is left in general terms. His wife has made herself ready. His wife is a reference to true followers of Jesus Christ who have confessed their sin before God, who have repented and turned from it and received the blood of Christ as the salvation to wash away their sin so that they can walk in righteousness and in holiness before the Lord. So, it says, Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, the only ones that are ultimately called are those who are ready. Now, here's what the Apostle John said. He was the beloved disciple, remember, and he said this. He said, whoever has this hope, that is the hope of the second coming in him, will purify himself as Christ is pure. Now, you might say, well, I thought we were saved by grace through faith. Well, it is true. We are saved by grace through faith. But now that we're saved by grace through faith, now we are to walk in holiness and in righteousness. And when we don't, the Holy Spirit will quicken you through your conscience, and he will speak to you and say, son or daughter, look, what you just said was not appropriate, was not righteous, was not kind, was not loving. What you just did was contrary to my word. You're walking in covetousness. You're lusting. You're watching porn. You're doing this, that, or the other. You've got to cease these things. You've got to become 
walk in purity and holiness, without which no man, the Bible says, will see the Lord. Now, when we see that, when the majority of people who profess the name of Christ are doing that, then we can be relatively well assured that the coming of Christ is very near. In fact, the Bible says, lift up your eyes for your redemption draws near. Lift up your eyes for your redemption draws near. Are you doing that? If you're not doing that, then what are you waiting for? You think that just by making a lame confession sometime, recognizing that God is God and that Jesus is Jesus sometime back 30 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever, you think that's what God was really looking for? No. He doesn't want you to be stillborn. He don't, doesn't want you to start the race and then drop out after a few years. No, they who endure to the end shall be saved. You and I are called to endure, to press on, come what may. And so the Bible tells us what will come. A lot of people don't want to read about it. That one pastor I told you about didn't want his people to hear about it, not even his men. He was creating them to be spiritually weak and feminine. He didn't want them to be able to stand and lead their families. He was creating spiritual wimps, and they will not be ready. Here's what the book of Revelation says again. And they overcame, that is, true followers of Jesus Christ, overcame the accuser of the brethren, that's Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. In other words, this issue of being prepared has to do with not eternal security the way some people teach it, but to be secure because your love for Christ is so great that you will endure any sacrifice to remain pure and holy because you're looking for the recompense of the reward, which is to be welcomed into the wedding supper of the Lamb as the bride of Christ. Now, there's so many other things that we could talk about. Some people might say, well, uh, should we be expecting uh, tribulation? Of course you should be expecting tribulation. Jesus said so. The Apostle Paul said, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I believe it was him. It was either him or Peter. All who live godly in uh, Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Difficult times. There's a difference, friends, between suffering the persecution of men and suffering the wrath of God. The persecution of men is not 
the wrath of God. The wrath of God doesn't even begin to be poured out until the end of Revelation chapter 6. And from then on, seven times the word, the wrath of God is mentioned, and not until then. People get their theology all backwards and upside down. And they're believing in false hopes. We must be prepared. You must be prepared. And parents, what we are called to do is to prepare our children. This is not just a lovey-dovey kind of thing. Now I lay me down to sleep. This is about serious training of your children to understand what God is looking for, who he is. He's not just love. He's truth and righteousness and holiness and a God of judgment as well as a God of peace and love. He's all of those things. Tell the truth to your kids. Pastors, tell the whole truth to your people. Stop playing the game of American marketing. So, seven times in the book of Revelation, Jesus says this, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes, those are the ones that are going to be prepared. Are you an overcomer? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what we have just shared here on Viewpoint today. Viewpoint determines destiny. Your viewpoint on these issues will determine your destiny and the destiny of your kids pastors the destinies of your congregations and remember what the scripture says those who purport to be teachers are going to have a burden before god so much greater than anyone else isn't it time for us to take this seriously and tell our congregations how much longer answer the question and be honest about it. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, friends. Get a copy of my book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. $22 on our, on our website, saveus.org. Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.